Hello, health investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Dr. Frederick Bonson. Frederick is a personal and executive coach who works with individuals and teams to create happiness, improve performance, and foster well-being in their personal and professional lives. He has devoted two decades to the art and science of decision-making, delivering practical strategies that streamline this important human process. In addition to coaching, Frederick is a practicing general surgeon and served as chief medical officer for MacroEyes, an AI company focused on global public health. He previously studied physics, worked as a systems engineer, and has won several awards for teaching and mentoring. In the episode, Frederick shares a simple process for making better decisions, why confidence is absolutely key when it comes to decision-making, why destiny is overrated, and more. But before we get to the episode, I quickly want to share one of my favorite resources with you, thrivemarket.com. I don't know about you, but I used to think that eating healthy meant I had to spend a lot of time and money at the grocery store. That is until I discovered Thrive Market. Thrive is an online grocery shopping platform that's essentially a mix of Costco, Whole Foods, and Amazon. Since they deliver groceries directly to your door, they're able to cut out all middle people and heavily discount their inventory. When I buy groceries on Thrive versus going to my local supermarket, I save at least $20 per order, and I'm able to fill up my cart from the comfort of my couch. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash thrivemarket, or just click through the link in the show notes. All right, it's time to hear from Frederick. Enjoy. I'm Brooke Simonson certified nutrition coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Frederick. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. Hi, Brooke. I'm really happy to be here. I'd love if you could share a bit of your background with us. I guess, first of all, what made you want to become a surgeon? Well, That'll be a two-part answer because surgeon was really a, a second or later step for me. I actually went to college and majored in physics, which was of interest to me. I found it fascinating and I really enjoyed it. And then I got to the end of college and realized I had no idea what I was going to do with that degree. Uh, and eventually I found a job working as an engineer which again was interesting uh, to me, but pretty rapidly within a couple of years realized that that wasn't what I wanted to be doing for the next several decades of my life. 
And some people do find all different types of engineering really rewarding. I found it intermittently interesting and, and clearly not sustainable for me, um, mm. interest and in energy wise. And so that was kind of the beginning of this whole journey that ended up where I am now was realizing that I had made a, a big decision about my career and it hadn't worked out, you know, not that it was a total disaster, but that it clearly wasn't headed in a direction that I wanted to keep going and realizing that if I just tried again in the same way that I had made that first choice, I had probably a similar chance of success and a similar chance of ending up, you know, investing a lot of time and maybe a lot of money and ending up in a career that I still didn't want. And so that's when mm. I started looking around at not just what do I want to do, but how does one make a solid decision about what I want to do? And and that's when I started learning about decision science and all of this. And in that time, I also uh, had a friend who had injured her knee and we had a series of conversations and eventually I even ended up speaking with her surgeon. Uh, she didn't have anybody to go with her and I went with her to one of her appointments. And I became fascinated by this combination of kind of working with people and kind of creative solutions to, you know, in orthopedics at that I was visiting at the time was a mechanical problem that I could relate to with engineering. But then there was this kind of creative aspect to it that directly impacted a person and their ability to do what they wanted to do to, in that case, get back to sports. And I became fascinated with that and uh, decided that that was what I was going to do next. And so I, hmm. I went to medical school and eventually chose uh, surgery and went through my training for that. Wow. That's, that's a crazy <laughs> kind of decision to make, speaking of decision-making, but what a commitment to go to medical school and become a surgeon. Um, that's a lot. I, I think that's true. Um, for sure. It's, it's a long path, but I also think it was for me inherently rewarding upfront. Hmm. I, I, I was interested in the topic. And so medical school and surgical training are both a lot of work, but they were also rewarding for their own sake, in addition to being steps on the way to something else that I wanted to do. And hmm. I think, and that's something I would imagine that you talk about in your coaching when you work with clients on nutrition stuff, there's this importance of having a goal out in the future, kind of what you're working towards. But if there's nothing rewarding along the way, it's going to be very hard to stay on the path towards that goal, right? If you're, right. If you're not enjoying what you're eating and if you don't have the energy to do the fun things you enjoy in your life, that nutritional goal, whatever it is, is going to be virtually impossible to reach for the vast majority of us. Yeah. Uh, yeah, totally. Very well said. 
So you are still currently a practicing surgeon, is that correct? That's correct. I I recently Ah. cut my practice back to part-time precisely so that I could have more conversations like this. Um, Mm -hmm. So that I, because I, along the way, as I mentioned, I became really fascinated with this idea that there was information out there, that there was science and good advice on how to make better decisions. And I saw that had a big impact for me in that career decision. And then I realized that, that those techniques, that those processes could be applied to other decisions that mattered to me in my life. And so I started to learn more about those types of things, how, how to make better decisions, how to make plans that I was more likely to follow through on. And then that kind of built up into sharing that with other people first, just kind of incidentally in conversation and then consciously saying, wow, this stuff is really useful. I, I want to help people out with it. It doesn't seem, I guess, that something that we maybe think about as a science or that there's stuff involved behind our decision-making and that we could actually tweak those thought processes to make better decisions or you even said to be more likely to follow through on plans that you make. That's so interesting. Um, So I'm excited to dive into this. When you titled your book, Better Than Destiny, what do you mean by that? So I would say that destiny is a word that gets thrown around a lot, especially in uh, self-help writing. And there are very few people perhaps none that I've met or heard of that truly live their lives as if they believe in destiny in the sense of there is a fixed future and nothing you can do will change that. But I think we we make a mistake when we use that language because it sets us up for a mindset where we think in a fixed mindset way. This This idea that who I am and how things are going to go is somehow predetermined. And I titled the book Better Than Destiny because I I know that what we have is better than that. We have choices and we can learn to make better decisions and better decisions lead to better outcomes, better life. I I think... Mm. If I was going to send people one message, it's that the quality of your life will be strongly impacted by the quality of your decisions and making better decisions, those decisions that help you get what you want out of life is something you can do well. Like we were talking about with the science, we understand a lot about this and there are simple techniques and tools that you can learn and apply. And that, to me, is better than any fixed future that we could be saddled with. Right. Yeah. So when you mentioned science a couple of times, so the advice in your book is backed by science. Which sciences are you speaking of? So I take a lot from psychology and Mm -hmm. behavioral economics in particular and economics in general. There's also a lot of education research that's been done in the last couple of decades on how we learn, how we can best learn. 
and my medical background helps. There's a lot of medical research that is not specific to any particular medicine or disease, but is more about when, why, and how people do or fail to do the stuff that would very clearly be in their own long-term best interest. And so we can learn from how we make decisions in those settings or how we succeed or fail at following through on plans. And then we can apply those things in other areas of our lives. Mm. You said, um, you know, the quality of your life can be determined by the quality of your decisions and you can get better at decision-making. And I think that right there is something that might be a huge paradigm shift to a listener. Cause I see people, um, I don't know, post just funny horoscope memes or different things yeah. of, oh, I'm a this, therefore I can never make a decision. Or maybe you kind of grew up, um, you know, my husband, for example, he's the eldest of seven kids. And so he's very, you know, strong in his decision making and kind of knows exactly what he wants, sort of in terms of birth order, maybe people are even thinking. But then if you're, the typical middle child. I know there's stereotypes that go along with that of maybe you're less of a decision maker or even a younger child. Um, so I guess what I'm thinking is just someone hearing this might feel as if they were using that term destined, sort of predestined, or it's part of their personality that they're just not a great decision maker. Is So is it truly something that you can learn even later in life through practice, or are some people just inherently better at it than others? Oh, you can absolutely learn and improve with this. And I think the evidence is all around us. We go to coaches, to teachers, to learn how to do all kinds of skills. And the ability to to learn is with us it it's simply not true that we're we're stuck once we leave adolescence or whatever people have in their minds of well I'm, you know I'm done with college it's it's too late for me uh it, that's clearly not true in the psychology and education research and i think another important thing for people to realize is that it doesn't have to be a complete reworking of how you live your life. And it doesn't have to be a lot of work. Just like with anything else, it can become simple if you have a process that you can get used to using and bring out and bring to bear on whatever challenge you're facing and just Decision-making is just another one of those things in our lives that we, you know, put it right next to taxes and how to manage your money as things we don't often learn in school, but in, mm. impact us every day throughout our lives. Right. I'm thinking as you're talking of a muscle, let's say, that you would build and grow in the gym. This in Is that kind of a way to think about it, that your decision-making skill is a muscle that can grow if you nurture it? Absolutely. And like 
many of your listeners, I imagine, will be will be familiar with the idea of building, replacing, or breaking habits. Mm-hmm. Good decision making is a process. You can turn it into something you do repeatedly. You can learn the steps, you can practice them, and then it can become, in that sense, habitual to refer back to, oh gosh, this decision seems pretty important. I know how to deal with that. And that can be very reassuring instead of being scared, like, oh my gosh, this decision, like, should I leave this job or stay at this job? I don't know what to do. And I I feel unmoored by that. Instead, you can think, I don't know if I should leave this job or stay at this job, but I know how to work through that and come to a decision that I'm going to be comfortable with and confident in. And that, I think, is the the power of of learning and practicing. Right. And going back to what you said earlier, I can just imagine if you make the decision then and then you stick with it, you're happy with the decision, your life is probably just so much better. Like you said, your life can be better with the better decisions you make because then you're not just upset every day that you haven't made the decision whether to leave or stay and just kind of stuck in the status quo, I guess, would be the worst place to be in terms of a big decision if you never make it. Absolutely. And I think, you know, if you look at referring back to the science, the the science of regret, oddly enough, uh. has you know, been studied well. And the things we regret when we get older are more often, vastly more often, things we didn't do, choices we didn't make, actions we failed to take or didn't consider. Those are the things we regret far more often than regretting making a choice, taking a chance. And on the other end of it, we feel stuck. Looking forward, we think, well, what if I do that and it doesn't turn out well? I'm going to regret that. But far more often, we're we're going to regret not trying. And Mm. being able to make a decision and a plan that you can feel comfortable with is going to give you a, a much better chance of not having nearly so many of those regrets. A couple of times you've mentioned this process for decision-making, and I would love if you could share some practical tips to help us get started, especially if there's a listener who feels like I am the literal worst with decision-making. So where can they start and how can they kind of work through that process? Yeah. So for particularly for bigger decisions, I would say I'll, I'll give kind of four tips here. And the the first of those is in some bigger sense it's important to be clear about what your big i call them top level goals are what mm-hmm. big value or goal is this decision going to affect and that that sounds vague uh like kind of a cop out of a tip but it inside it there's something really specific, which is there's been a ton of research from the lab to surveys on the happiest populations in the world to interviews with elderly people. And 
all of those studies show the same small set of things that matter to our happiness, our well-being, our sense of fulfillment in our lives. And all of those studies, all of that research comes down to social connection, health and activity, curiosity, learning, and giving. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna get back to the decision making here, I promise. But I I think I just refer to those things as the five factors of happiness, for lack of a better term. Social connection, health and activity, curiosity, learning, and giving. And if you have long-term goals, if you're trying to make a big decision, career, health, education, if you can understand how the decision you're about to make, whether it takes you towards or away from one or more of those five factors of happiness, you have a much better chance of making a decision that's in your own best interest in the long run. Hmm. So yeah. yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I just was curious, what is, or I'm curious, what does the curiosity one mean? So yeah, that's different studies describe it in different ways, but basically it's being interested in the world around you, whether that's people or learning something through study or finding a jazz musician who you love and working back through all their catalog and trying to understand the influences that made them the musician they eventually became. Just having things in your life that you don't fully understand, but are interested in learning more about. Mm, so for a career decision, it would be more kind of asking yourself, is this career helping me get more curious about the things that I'm interested in life? Yeah, I think that would be one way that it could serve it. There's a lot of ways you can you can kind of hook into these things. Another way to think about it with career or a job decision would be that often things seem interesting when they're new, but asking yourself up front, once I get over that first learning curve of just, you know, whether it's three months or nine months or a year in, when I've kind of got the processes of the new job figured out and I'm just doing the day-to-day -day of it, am I still going to be interested in the work? You know, are there going to be opportunities for me to grow and keep learning things? Or am I just getting over a hurdle and then cruising at a, that altitude for the rest of the job until I leave or retire? And, and having those opportunities to still be challenged, to, to come upon and wrestle with new ideas in your job, those are going to be things that sustain your interest and kind of offset the tendency to get burned out. So if you're right. if you're interested at work, you're going to come home with mental energy saying in your head, maybe you don't necessarily talk to your family about it every day, but in your head mm -hmm. you're saying I learned something today or I have something to go back and figure out tomorrow. You're going to have a lot more energy and a much different attitude when you get home as well as when you're at your job. And so that that curiosity, I think, is 
as as you pointed to, it can seem a little vague, but there are lots of ways that you can find that. And if you're conscious that that's an important thing to have in your life, that can really help you guide your big decisions. And I think that's true about all of these things. Hey there, health investor. I hope you're enjoying the episode. Just popping in here for a quick minute to share an exciting opportunity with you. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in sustainable weight loss. If you've been struggling to lose weight and actually keep it off, I'd love to connect with you in my group or one-on-one coaching program. Unlike restrictive, hard-to-follow diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed habits and an everything-in-moderation mindset so that you can lose weight permanently, feel completely in control of your cravings, have steady energy throughout the day, and stick with healthy habits long-term. To learn more about my coaching programs and apply to work with me, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram at thehealthinvestment. Now, back to the episode. Okay, awesome. Sorry, I interrupted you there just because I got hung up on the curiosity one, but go ahead and continue. So first you see you know, what buckets, I guess, of those five buckets, you're kind of... Yeah. And just knowing that you have goals in those areas, that if you're going to make a big goal for yourself, the sustainable ones that are going to make a big impact are going to be the goals that that link up to one or more of those, those five things. And then on a smaller scale, knowing what you want out of a decision is going to help you make a good decision. And one of the things I I talk about many times is knowing what the important factors of the decision are before you get too far into considering the options. And this is reflected in some biases we can we can make some errors in decision making because we and this is why marketing works so well we get caught up in comparisons about factors that don't matter much in the long run an example a really concrete example would be okay say you're going to buy a car it's a big financial decision it's important to you for your transportation And you know, going in that gas mileage and headroom and heated seats are all important to you, but you don't care much about the stereo or how big the navigation screen is. If you know that beforehand, then when you go to the lot and you get excited about a particular car, you can check in with yourself. Am I excited about this? Because the salesperson just explained some fancy feature that's enabled because of the giant screen that it has or some towing capacity that I didn't even care about? Or am (laughs) I excited about this car because it's super comfortable, it has the winter package that I always wanted, and it's one of the most fuel-efficient cars of any that I'm considering? And so Mm -hmm. if if you decide before you get there what what are the important factors, then you can refer back to that and keep yourself from getting distracted by, oh, look, uh, you know, a blue dongle. I, I like those. And uh, 
and getting off track from what you're actually going to care about when you're living with that decision in the future. So that, that would be the first two tips, which is having, having some reference to a long-term goal of, of what's important. And then on a, on a smaller scale, defining the factors ahead of time that are going to be the most important factors to you in the long run and referring back to both of those things when you are in the act of making the decision and comparing your options. And then the, the other tips would be, you know, use a process. So have steps that you're going to use. And I, I talk about six steps, which we could go into in detail if you want. Um, and it, it doesn't have to be exactly the process that I lay out, but know kind of what order you're going to do things in. I'm going to figure out what's important to me, and then I'm going to compare the options, and then I'm going to pick a couple to research more deeply, and then I'm going to make my choice. And so mm. having that repeatable process gives you these reminders and these opportunities to check check back in with why why is this decision important? What goal is it serving for me? What are the things about the the options that I'm considering that actually matter to me? And then I can I can go ahead with with the decision with more confidence. Mm-hmm. It seems as if uh, you're giving a process to kind of make decisions more on paper and make them more objective and kind of remove some of the emotion and the subjectivity from them. Is that yeah, true at all? I, I think. I, I wouldn't want to go so far as to say removing emotion because I think our emotions are useful information, right? What we're talking okay. about here is is what's what's going to make us happy, feel fulfilled, get us what we want in our life and our work. But emotions can also be very distracting. So I think it's important not to dismiss them, but I also think it's important to check in with them rather than be completely driven by them, if that makes sense. That does make sense. And you said something else um, that really resonated with me. You said the word confident about making a decision. And I feel like every decision, going back to that regret piece, if you don't kind of think it through, especially the big decisions in life, and you don't have the confidence that you made the right one, then that could just kind of mess with your head forever. Just if you can move forward knowing, okay, I checked off some boxes. I went through this process for making this decision. I feel super confident in it and then roll with it is better, I think, than making the decision and then wavering about it forever. Oh, yes. I And I think that's another thing that really impacts our happiness is constantly revisiting a decision we've already made. And, and questioning, did I do that right? And I, I think it is important to reflect and learn. I think it's also important to have a little bit of grace and kindness for ourselves, understanding that we can have the best process in the world. And to some degree, some things are just going to be affected by stuff outside our control. And we don't have perfect knowledge. We can't predict the future. So what we have to 
hold ourselves accountable for is having done the process well. And if we can be honest about that, did I, did I really consider what was most important to me? Was I really thinking about where I want to be in the long run rather than what felt good that day or that week? If we can hold ourselves accountable to those things, then we can let go of some of the so common self-recrimination about, well, that didn't turn out how I wanted it to. I must be the idiot here. It's like, well, no, I, you know, I can reflect things didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. I should reflect on that. Was that because of something I should have known at the time or because of something that there was no way I could have known? Or I knew this was a possibility, but it seemed unlikely. And I took that chance. It didn't pay off. I can learn from that. Would I take a similar chance again in the future? Maybe, maybe not. I can update when I consider a similar decision in the future. And then I can let go of that. And I can say, okay, when it's time, you know, this job decision didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. Is that because I missed something that that I should have known? Or is it because of something that there was just no way for me to know until I showed up at the company? And either one of those things I can move forward with. I can, I can right. forgive myself for the mistake if it was my mistake and say, okay, next time I'll remember to look for that. And if it wasn't my mistake, it was, if it was just, there was no way for me to know that until I came here and actually worked with this team for a while, then I can say, well, that's not on me. And now I know. So now I have another decision to make. What am I going to do now that I'm here and I don't like it? When you're speaking, I'm thinking of the big decisions you're talking about, like career choices, or you mentioned buying a car is a pretty big one. But I've also been thinking about relationships, especially when you're dating. Um, I read the book, Mo I think it's called Modern Love by the comedian Aziz Ansari. And uh, yeah. I think he wrote it. Have you read that? I have not. It's on my list, actually, but I haven't read it yet. Okay. It's really, I found it fascinating because I'm really interested in that stuff. But he wrote it with a psychologist, I believe, um, and just went into the whole world of online dating and how there's this paradox of choice now because you used to just date the people who lived within a mile vicinity of you. And there were maybe three choices right. and now there's millions, yes. maybe even a billion choices. And so how do you make a choice and feel confident with that choice when there could be, you know, on the app, you just keep swiping, there could be something better out there or your brain maybe makes you believe that. Have you done this process at all with relationships and dating and choosing a life partner or is there a way to kind of apply it to that? Absolutely. And I, I think relationships get, it gets a little bit fuzzier, I'd say, mostly because of the way we talk to ourselves about our own self-worth and how we see that reflected from and with other people. And, and so it's, it's a little bit harder to get outside of that, I would say, you know, to, to your question earlier about emotion and using emotion as, as information uh, in relationships, I think that's front and center, right? Right. And, and but I I think the same ideas apply, which is recognizing that 
Not every decision is going to turn out well. Not every decision that didn't turn out well is the end of the world. And then checking in on yourself and saying, why am I here? Why am I doing this? Why am I putting in this effort with an eye towards the long term? Not, man, that was an uncomfortable conversation. This must not be destined to be, right? And so we, this, I think in relationships, we can really get burned by this idea of destiny, right? If I think it's either my soulmate, perfect everything, or it's not the right one for me, then the first time that there's a disagreement or an argument, I'm going to go home and think, well, this one's just not going to work, obviously, because <laughs> they would clearly have figured out what I was thinking if they were the right one. And that's just not how human relationships work, right? We can't read each other's minds. We, we're going to, it would be, I think, really boring to be in a relationship with someone who agreed with me on everything 100% of the time and thought exactly the same way I do. And, right. and so there are going to be challenges. And if you think, man, it, it just has to be perfect all the time, then, or, or it's not right, then there is going to be no right. And, and so having a process where you can step back and refer to, okay, what are, what are my long-term goals? What are our long-term goals? Are we working towards those or have we been derailed and coming together on that first in your own head and then with your partner? It's very applicable. Yeah. Otherwise you'll just be swiping forever, right? No right. one will be good enough. And then you get bogged down in this paradox of choice. And Yeah. And I, I have a question for you about that particular phrase, actually. Was that a phrase that uh, that he used in the book, The Paradox of Choice? I think so. It's... I might have already known it or heard of it, but I think I think I read it years ago, but I think he dives into that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a well-researched phenomenon in psychology where... One, the more options we have, and two, the more time we spend considering similar options, the less happy we turn out to be with our choices. Um, mm. and, and there are a bunch of nuances to that, but yeah, th there's a whole there's a book called The Paradox of Choice, which which goes fully into that, but it crops up everywhere from from Tinder to the grocery store to comparing yeah. cars on the lot, like it is. <laughs> We we are overrun by options and, and yeah, it's exhausting. <laughs> yeah, and and contrary to what we would think, it usually works against us as far as how satisfied we're going to be with the choice that we make. Mm, that makes yeah, it makes sense when you really think about it. Um, we talked about making decisions for some of the bigger life issues, but what about just where to go to dinner, what to make for dinner, people who get kind of bogged down in these everyday decisions and have a tough time even deciding those. Yeah. So I would say the, the first step that I recommend in a process is decide how much time, effort, and resources to spend on any given decision. I think it's very true that 
most of us should spend a lot less time on a lot of decisions and a lot more time on a few bigger, more impactful decisions. And so I think if you acknowledge that you don't have infinite time and energy, you also then have to realize that any time and energy you spend trying to decide between two restaurants, am I going to go to this brew pub or that brew pub? That's time and energy that's not available to you to do something else. And for decisions like that, the quickest tip I can offer is if it's that hard to decide for something that will have that little impact on how you feel a week, a month, or a year from now, flip a coin because they're so similar that you can't tell the difference. You know, just if it's, if it's that hard to decide, ask yourself how much, you know, today's Tuesday, how much more or less happy on Friday afternoon am I going to be based on going to this restaurant or that restaurant tonight? Yeah. Likely it rounds off to zero. And (laughs) if it, if it's that small, that it's just not worth that much time. Pick either one. You're going to be fine. I love that. Yeah. I've never heard that uh, tip before, but it makes perfect sense. What do you do if you have three options? That's when I get to yeah. then, right? <laughs> yeah. And you have to pull out your old, uh, you know, if you were nerdy enough to have a Dungeons and Dragons set with the various, <laughs> you know, four-sided die and three-sided and, you know, then, yeah. <laughs> but just keep a whole host of different, uh, <laughs> different sided figures. Yes, around exactly. So that you can flip them depending yeah, on how many. Or a set of have. cards or something. But yeah. but I think the 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 advice I think is the same though, right? You know, which is first, just decide. You know, how how much is this going to matter beyond the next few minutes or few hours? And, and if the impact is small, then recognize that you also should invest very little time and energy into that decision. Yeah. I'm also just thinking so much about the confidence piece, just making a decision and then feeling confident about it and just rolling with it. And I would imagine that if you get to that brew pub and you embrace it and you think about it in that sort of confident way rather than the whole time thinking, oh, but at that other place, the appetizers are so much better. It probably impacts your happiness as well, right? Yeah, I think I think that's definitely true in the moment in particular, which is, you know, that that second guessing. And that I think it it's easy to say, well, just reframe it in your head as mm. as, you know, be happy with what you have instead of what you chose to, to not do tonight. But I I think the, the bigger picture there is to also recognize which choices are repeatable. So, you know, buying a house, choosing a career, an educate, a major in college, those types of things, you can change them and, and you can redo them, but it takes a lot of effort and you're only going to do it at most a, a handful of times in your life. Those decisions you should put some energy and time into. Which brew pub you go out to eat at tonight, you're going to do that a lot more times 
So if it doesn't, if you go out tonight and you're like, oh yeah, I forgot, I don't actually like the burgers at this place. I, you know, I was only remembered this place well because of who I was with the last time I was here. You know, I, I don't actually like the food. Now you know. The next time you go out to a brew pub, use that information to update your your choice and, and go somewhere else. You haven't lost much in, in right. that decision. Yeah, such a good point. Well, I'm so grateful for everything you've shared today. I've loved this conversation. Um, one of the final questions I ask each of my guests is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? So I would say that the answer is in the question with the hmm. investment piece. I would say I think the health investment is making the choices that treat my health like a long-term investment. It's aligning my actions and my my decisions with how I want future me to be doing, whether that's five or 10 or 30 years down the road, and making sure that what I'm doing and how I'm making those choices is both oriented towards that time frame and is sustainable over that time frame, rather than making choices about my what I claim to be my health because of the season or a time frame of a few months or a year. I think a, I aligning that, yeah. it with, with the long-term payoffs is how you do well in investing. Something you said earlier really stood out to me also of how you want to be sure to focus on the small wins along the way and not just you know, if you're trying to, let's say, do more cardio so that you hopefully improve your heart health over the next 30 years, it can be hard to keep just, I don't want to have a heart attack is your goal if you're not focusing on the small short-term benefits it brings from you. And I think that was a really good point that you brought up. Yeah. And I think, I know you talk about sustainable success. Yeah. Right. And, and those are the things that make it sustainable are the, and, and I think that's part of the investment strategy in your own health, right. Is to, to do the things that you enjoy. If you hate going to the gym, but you like hiking, design your activity program around hiking. If you right. hate being outside and you live in the Northwest, like me, you hate being out in the rain but you love lifting weights, get a gym membership. It's not that one or the other of those is better for you in the long run. It's that doing something consistently over time is going to matter a lot. And the thing you can stick with is going to serve you much better than the thing you think is best, but you don't keep doing. Mm, yeah, so well said. Where can listeners follow and find you? So online, check out my website, frederickbonson.com. Um, there's an interactive quiz where you can learn about some mindset stuff that might affect your approach to challenges and relationships with other people. There's other resources from my book on the website available for free. So definitely check that out. Um, and you can get in touch with me directly through the site or connect on in, uh, Instagram and LinkedIn, uh, either oh, of those awesome. places and, and through the website. 
uh, I love the conversations. And so connect, follow, DM me, and let's talk about what challenges you're facing and, and how you can make the choices and act on them to get you where you want to be. I love that you want people to reach out to you because I always feel the same way. And I say that all the time, but I think people are hesitant because social media, even though the word social is in it, it feels still like, I don't know, we're behind some barrier and unapproachable, but I really want social media to be social. That's why I'm on there. (laughs) Yeah. And and this, like, I want to say thank you for this conversation. This is the part I love. I love sharing this and it's, it's fun to talk about it with someone like yourself who asks the questions and has, you know, does coaching yourself. It's really fun to get into the specifics with an individual person. So I definitely encourage people to, yeah, come to the website. There's a form on there. You can email me directly. I'll get back to you personally. You can do the same thing on, on LinkedIn and Instagram because that's what I do this for is, is to talk to people, to understand and to, to work with people. That's the most rewarding thing is to see people get those breakthroughs, have those moments of, oh gosh, I can do this or, oh gosh, yeah, I feel so much better about what I'm doing now. That's, that's amazing. And I can vouch for the fact that you do respond. You're good. You're good at email and (laughs) pretty rapid in your responses versus other guests. I don't even know. (laughs) I never hear from them once and I just cross my fingers that they're going to show up at our recording time, but you are a great communicator. So if someone reaches out, I can tell you, you will tell them you will write back. (laughs) Well, I, I appreciate that. And I've been excited to have this conversation. So Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here, Frederick. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.